the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Eliezer confronts him in the second story. Jehu confronted him in the first story. And Jehoshaphat has the same problem. He doesn't know the line between having contact with those who are wicked and evil and being compromised by them. He has formed an alliance here, a partnership and a union, and God is angry. He's angry with them. The crack in Jehoshaphat's armor was that he formed alliances with the wrong people. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Second Chronicles. Who are your closest friends? If you're a Christian and your closest friends aren't, then be careful. The people we form close connections to will inevitably influence us. And if their lifestyle or values don't line up with the Bible, then you're setting yourself up for disaster. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches on the life of King Jehoshaphat. He loved God, but he created a weakness for himself when he made an alliance with a wicked king. We're in this world, but not of it. Don't cross the line between contact and compromise. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message titled, Dangerous Alliances. Well, we are continuing in our study through the whole Bible. We're in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn there with me. We're going to look at the life of one of the kings of Judah. His name is Jehoshaphat. There's an important lesson to learn from his life. He is numbered among the relatively good kings. But I'm going to read from chapter 17, first six verses, and then one more verse out of chapter 18. So first here, chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Jehoshaphat, his son, that's referring to the previous chapter. The father's name was Asa. Jehoshaphat is his son. Jehoshaphat, his son, succeeded him as king and strengthened himself against Israel. He stationed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and put garrisons in Judah and in the towns of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways his father David had followed. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah." 
Go to chapter 18 now. Just look at verse 1 with me. It says, Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Well, here in Second Chronicles, four entire chapters are devoted to the life and reign of King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, so the capital city was Jerusalem. That's where he was situated here. For those of you who like to take notes, just a few couple of quick bullet points about Jehoshaphat. His name in Hebrew is pronounced Yehoshaphat. There's no J in the Hebrew alphabet. And it is derived from two words. His name is derived from the word Yahweh, the proper name of God, and Shaphat, which means to judge. So his name, Yehoshaphat, translates, the Lord is judge. He reigned in Judah, in Jerusalem, for 25 years, and he is listed among the relatively good kings. And I put that in quotation marks because he didn't do everything right, but yet he is still numbered among those who did generally right in the ways of the Lord. No good king to the north in Israel, a few good kings of the southern kingdom of Judah, and Jehoshaphat is numbered among them. A couple of the things that he did right was that he brought judicial reform. Chapter 19 tells us that he set in places judges to help govern and administrate in the land. And he also, chapter 19 tells us, appointed priests in the city of Jerusalem who would settle matters of dispute using the Word of God as kind of the book of arbitration. So he brought judicial reform, and as well he brought spiritual renewal. And he brought spiritual renewal in four ways. The Bible tells us in the following chapters that he removed pagan influences, which also his father Asa had done. But it's kind of a commentary on the human heart, because even when you deal with those things that are idolatrous in your life, sometimes they can creep back in. So they must have crept back in because we see Jehoshaphat removes them as well as his father had. He also taught God's word. He dispatched 16 individuals, a combination of officials and priests and Levites throughout the land of Judah, just teaching the word of God. So he was very intentional about that. Thirdly, he called for prayer and fasting. There were times in his reign where he specifically called the nation of Judah, of the kingdom of Judah, to prayer and to fasting. And then he also did an interesting thing. He also emphasized praise and worship. And there's an interesting scene in chapter 20 where they are about to be attacked by the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Mennonites. And All right, not the third group. I just made that up to see if you're awake. You're like, Mennonites, really? They had, were in the Bible? No. But anyway, so, but the Moabites and Ammonites came against the people of Judah. And Jehoshaphat, what does he do? He appoints musicians and singers to go out in front of the army of Judah into battle. I guess he figures the worship team's disposable. But here's the idea. (laughs) Not really. What he's really thinking is, if we lead the army with the worship unto the Lord, God's going to be glorified and give us the victory. And that's exactly what happened. God sent ambushes among the Moabites and Ammonites such that they turned on each other, and God gave the people of Judah a great victory because Jehoshaphat emphasized, we're going to praise and worship God in the midst of our battles. So he did some great things. But again, even among the good kings, there's usually one or two things that they didn't do so well, and that's the case here with Jehoshaphat as well. We see a crack in his armor. Jehoshaphat has a major weakness, and it is first exposed to us here in chapter 18, verse 1. Look at it again. We read it at the top of our study. 18.1 says, Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab 
by marriage. By marriage. Jehoshaphat gave his son Jehoram in marriage to Ahab's daughter Athaliah. Now, Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He is also a Jew like Jehoshaphat, but there's been civil war and strife, and now the kingdom is divided. There's not a single good king to the north in Israel. And Ahab is one of the most wicked kings. Now, this alliance that he forms here by marriage is wrong on a couple of levels. First of all, it was not that uncommon, actually, for kings back in the day to form alliances of peace by giving of a daughter or son in marriage. And they would do this to kind of secure peace because, you know, once you get married and now you guys are sharing family together, you know, we are family, I got all my sisters and me, that kind of thing. And now once you're family, you're less likely to bomb each other and kill each other. It's going to make family reunions really awkward. And so they come together and these alliances were kind of typical back in the day. But here's why it was wrong for any king of Israel to do such a thing. When a king formed an alliance by marriage, in essence, what he was doing was strategizing and manipulating the situation to bring about a desired outcome of peace rather than relying on God as their defender. And it was a very fleshly thing. It's like, why don't we just marry our kids off? Because I don't want to fight with you. I want peace. And they should have trusted the Lord their God. Solomon was guilty of doing the same thing. He married the daughter of Pharaoh of Egypt in order to secure peace. And here's Jehoshaphat doing this as well. And it's not pleasing to the Lord. But the other reason why this is not a good alliance here is because Jehoshaphat is forming an alliance with none other than Ahab. Now, if you remember in our study through the books of Kings, Ahab was a very wicked king, one of the most wicked kings in all of Israel. And he married one of the most wicked women in all of Israel who wasn't even an Israeli. She was a Sidonian. Jezebel was her name. Remember Jezebel? All right. She's in my perception because she's, you know, this very angry. I just picture her as the smoker, you know, Roz from Monsters, Inc. Okay. She wears the pants in the palace and she's bossing Ahab around. You call yourself a king. I can't believe it. You know, that that's Jezebel. Very wicked woman. She was a Sidonian who worshiped false gods. Her father was Ethbaal, which translates Baal is with me. So her dad was this pagan priest. She brings this paganism into the land of Israel. Israel, convinces her husband Ahab this is the way to go. The northern kingdom of Israel, very idolatrous, very wicked. And Ahab is responsible. Should never have married Jezebel, but he did. So for Jehoshaphat to form an alliance with this guy, nothing good can come out of an alliance with Ahab. Nothing. And that proves to be true. Here further in chapter 18, let me summarize some events and then we're going to read a few verses. So Jehoshaphat is now allied with Ahab by marriage, and he makes a visit to Ahab one day and goes to visit Ahab there in Ahab's capital city of Samaria. And Jehoshaphat shows up and Ahab throws a big dinner party and he slaughters a few animals and he you know, brings out the party hats and the little gazoos or whatever they're called. And, you know, and then they snap them on their chins. And here they are having a great grand time now because they're friends, so to speak. All right. And Ahab turns to Jehoshaphat and says, listen, Japhat, can I call you Japhat? We're buds now. (laughs) Japhat, listen, why don't you come help me fight a battle now against the Arameans? Because we're buds now. And they've taken over one of the towns of mine, Ramoth Gilead. Why don't you help me go fight them in Ramoth Gilead? Long story short, Jehoshaphat gets on board. He says, all right, I'll help you go fight the Arameans. Ancient word for Syrians. And so that's what happens here. Look at verse 28, chapter 18. 
Let me read just to the end of the chapter here. Look what happens. Verse 28. So the king of Israel, that's Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. Now notice this. The king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel, Ahab, disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, this is the king of Israel. Now, of course, he wasn't. He was the king of Judah to the south, but he's wearing his royal robe. So that's why they think it's the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him, but Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him, for when the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel, they stopped pursuing him. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. The king told the chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Arameans until evening, and then at sunset he died. All right, your attention here. Doesn't Ahab show himself for his true colors here? He turns to his new pal, Jehoshaphat, and says, listen, thank you for agreeing to fight with me. When we go into battle, how about you wear your bright orange royal robe? And I'm going to wear camo. Are you okay with that? I just kind of want to blend in. I don't want to draw any attention to myself. How about we do this? Now, why Jehoshaphat would agree to this is a mystery to me. Why would it be? Sure, I'll go out wearing my royal robes while you just look like a common soldier. Fine. But he does. And when he goes out, the Arameans think he's Ahab because he's wearing his royal robes. And he cries out. Jehoshaphat cries out to the Lord. The Lord rescues him. Meanwhile, it says a random archer draws his bow and shoots Ahab, and he is wounded. And, you know, he doesn't want the troops to be discouraged, so he says to his charioteer, just prop me up here in the chariot, you know, and I'll pretend to be okay, I'm fine, don't look at me, forget the blood, I'm all right, I'm good! You know, and so that's what he's looking like, but at the end of the day, he dies. Now, Ahab is dead. Jehoshaphat is still alive now. He survived by the mercy of God, and he goes back to his palace in Jerusalem. And when he does, he is confronted by Jehu the prophet. Look chapter 19, first couple of verses of chapter 19. When Jehoshaphat king of Judah returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Jehu the seer, it's another word for a prophet, the son of Hanani went out to meet him and said to the king, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. There is, however, some good in you, for you have rid the land of the Asherah and have set your heart on seeking God. Now notice this, folks. God is very angry at the alliance that Jehoshaphat has formed with Ahab. And Jehu, the prophet, confronts him about this. And he says to him, you know, is this right that you would love the wicked, that you would help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? He's talking about Ahab. Ahab is wicked. Ahab hates the Lord. And if you'll notice in your Bibles there in verse 2, when the prophet says that to him, the word love in my Bible has a footnote. And if you notice the footnote, because it can be translated and make alliance with. Notice the problem that Jehoshaphat has here. It literally translates, should you help the wicked and make alliance with those who hate the Lord and it says that the wrath of God is going to come upon you, the prophet says. Now, the Bible is not descriptive about what the wrath actually was. 
But Jehoshaphat suffers consequences of some kind. God is displeased that Jehoshaphat has allied himself with a very wicked man who does not love the Lord and does not walk in the ways of the Lord. And he gets called on this. Now, I'd like to say, and then Jehoshaphat learned from this and never did it again. But it's not true. He does it a second time with Ahab's son. Ahab's dead now. Ahab's son Ahaziah. Jehoshaphat does the same thing, makes an alliance with his son who's also wicked. Look further in your Bibles, chapter 20. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You'll see this second offense here, and God's going to do the same thing. He's going to send a second prophet to confront him. Verse 35. It says, Later Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, made an alliance with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who was guilty of wickedness. He agreed with him to construct a fleet of trading ships. And after these were built at Ezion-Geber, Eliezer, son of Dodavahu of Merishah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have made an alliance with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. The ships were wrecked and were not able to set sail to trade. Okay? He does it twice here. The first time, Jehoshaphat forms an alliance with Ahab, and the wrath of God comes upon him. Second time, he forms an alliance with Ahaziah, who's also wicked, makes a deal to build some trading ships, and God, in his anger over this, the Bible doesn't say, maybe a storm came along, whatever, but the whole fleet of trading ships was destroyed, and God sends a second prophet to confront him about the same problem. Eliezer confronts him. In the second story, Jehu confronted him in the first story. And Jehoshaphat has the same problem. He doesn't know the line between having contact with those who are wicked and evil and being compromised by them. He has formed an alliance here, a partnership and a union, and God is angry. He's angry with him. The crack in Jehoshaphat's armor was that he formed alliances with the wrong people. Now, folks, take note of this. Christians, hear me on this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't profess to know Christ, you're just kind of here visiting with somebody, this doesn't apply to you. This is for those who claim to know Christ as Lord and Savior. You are a Christ follower. You love the Lord. You want to live according to His Word. Take note here. God doesn't like alliances, unions, and partnerships with the wrong people. Ahab and Ahaziah are the wrong people. They are the ones who hate the Lord. They don't want to walk with the Lord. They don't love the Lord. They represent the worldly idea of rebellion against God. Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, in the story, is kind of the good guy. He's the one who's done four relatively wonderful things for the land of Judah. He's the good guy, but the problem is he's gotten too close to the wrong people. And he's become guilty by association. And this is very challenging to us. Let me tell you the application that I see in this passage. And I want to be very careful to preface my remarks with this first part. If you miss the first part, you're going to think that this teaching is out of balance. So I want you to tune in and hear the first part, please. Please hear this. We have a responsibility to rub shoulders with lost people in a lost world. They need to know Christ that comes through our interaction with real people in a real world who are expressing the real love of Jesus Christ with the gospel. We must have that interaction. Okay? But there is a fine line 
between contact and interaction and compromise, between influencing and being influenced. Now, where is that line? Jehoshaphat obviously crossed it because God was angry with them. You have formed alliances. You have knit yourself with these other individuals. They are wicked. You were to be godly. You were to be my man for this hour. And you've compromised yourself by such a wicked, ungodly alliance here. And we need to be asking ourselves as well, where's that line? You know, we live in the world. We're supposed to have interaction with the world. We're supposed to be salt and light in the world. But where's that line? between looking too much like the world and becoming integrated too much with the world and the culture and the mindset and philosophy and all of this kind of stuff. And we need to be asking ourselves in terms of what you can control, in terms of what you can decide, how close is too close? How close is too close to be associated with, allied with, friends with, or partners with those who do not share your Christian values or biblical worldview? Now again, hear me on this. I'm not preaching isolation. We cannot be isolated. We must integrate our lives with the real world around us. I'm not preaching isolation. And that would be problematic. If Christians just had this isolated mindset where I'm just going to be in my little church huddle, I'm going to just stay in my little K group, and I'm not going to ever have any influence in the world. That's isolation. That's not right. But in my opinion, I don't think we are in danger as much of being guilty of isolation as we are of being guilty of infiltration. Now, what do I mean? Well, maybe this will expose too much about me and how much I maybe watch too many spy movies and, you know, the covert mission movie, kind of like the Mission Impossible kind of things. But here's the reality, right? If you are a spy and you want to infiltrate, okay, that's the word, if you want to infiltrate the ranks of some foreign body, or if you are, you know, working for the government on covert assignments, and some of you in our congregation do this kind of thing for a living, and you need to be covert because you need to infiltrate, maybe it's some gang or some drug cartel or some mafia ring or something like that. In order to infiltrate, you have to start to look like them, talk like them, act like them. You have to pass off as one of them. You have to pass yourself off as being one of them so that you can infiltrate and be just like them. And here's the challenge. I think that the church in large is in danger of infiltrating unsaved ranks, and now nobody can tell you're any different. Because you look just like they do, and you talk just like they do, and you act just like they do, and nobody can tell you're different. I think that's even more problematic than isolation. Now, I know I get the pushback. I know people, the answer on this is like, well, wait a minute. I just want to be relatable. You know, I just want to fit in and I just want to, I'm not really trying to compromise. I just want to be relatable. Let me tell you, I've been in ministry 28 years. Relatability, I know what we really intend by that, but often when people say that, here's what I think that they are really trying to say. What they really mean, it's code word for, I don't want to be odd man out and I don't want to be weird. So I'm going to blend in. The problem is that when you blend in so well, you end up looking like them, talking like them, drinking like them, vaping like them. All right? Living like them. You end up doing everything that looks just like them such that nobody can tell you are any different. I know it's a little quiet in here today. Some of you are like, just tell some of your jokes. Yeah, I... I understand that. But listen to me on this. Christian, Christian, listen to me on this. You and I are called to be different. Embrace it. 
You and I are called to swim against the stream. Accept it. The book of Second Chronicles takes us through more of the history of the nation of Israel, sharing their trials and triumphs and the faithfulness of God. Pastor Gary is taking us through this Old Testament book here on Cornerstone Connection, and we pray you've been encouraged by the message you heard today. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, we'd love to have you come join us for one of our weekend services. Our group of believers gathers each week on Sundays and Wednesdays to get to know each other, study God's Word, and spend time worshiping Him for all He's done. Service times and directions can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, be sure to check out more about the church and the activities we have for all ages. You can also access our archive of previous messages under the Teaching tab. Did you know you can also take the biblically sound messages of Cornerstone Connection with you on the go? Just download our mobile app to your smartphone for access to each teaching as it's made available. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary has much more to share with us as he continues digging into the book of 2 Chronicles. So we hope you'll join us again here on Cornerstone Connection. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.